Wendy's two for six dollars lets you mix and match some of our best items, like <gasps> Dave single with a ten piece crispy nugs, medium strawberry lemonade with a spicy chicken sandwich, spicy chicken with a Dave single, Dave single with a strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade. If you're into that, chicken Sam crispy nugs, crispy nugs, strawberry lemonade, Dave's Dave's nugs, nugs, Sam Sam. Whew. Pick what you want at a price you want. <clears throat> Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's two for six. For a limited time, price of participation may vary at U.S. Wendy's. On the card only, single item at regular price. Storms. On Monday morning, Camden and I were driving to his first day of baseball camp, and we braved the rain falling at five inches an hour to make it from our home on 16th Street over to Yorktown High School. And along the way, I found myself yelling over the sound of the rain beating down on our Toyota as I explained to Camden how on earth he was going to play baseball inside when the rules at our house suggest that he was about to have the most boring day ever. The trip from our home to Yorktown High School, or rather the trip home from Yorktown High School, required three detours as roads throughout the area began to quickly flood. And later Monday evening, while many people were taking up water-soaked carpets from their basements and placing them by the curb or going through water-damaged items, I turned on the evening news and saw story after story of people who did not heed the turnaround and don't drown warnings. And they found themselves literally up a creek or in the creek without a paddle. You know, each of the News 4 reporters highlighted actions taken by good Samaritans. And according to these reporters, who had obviously not braved the storms themselves, as they were neither drenched and their hair was perfectly in place, the good Samaritans of Monday morning's storms provided rides to stranded commuters when the commuters found themselves unable to help themselves on their way to work from home. The title Good Samaritan is a churchy term, but the story itself and how this named person earned this title is one of the most well-known stories to those who count themselves as unchurched. The Good Samaritan in Jesus' parable has become a secularized saint that the Vatican has yet to canonize. Simply known as the Good Samaritan, this fictional character created by Christ has become a modern-day standard for do-gooders doing good things for strangers. If you change someone's tire, a stranger's tire, Along the beltway, you are labeled as a good Samaritan. If you hand a bottle of water to someone standing along Glebe Road, you will earn the title of this secularized saint. But the secularized sainthood of this person in Christ's parable causes us to miss the bite of what Jesus was telling this lawyer. We know this parable so well that we will miss the point of what Christ is saying, and in turn, we will turn this story into a biblical example of good morals instead of the earthly example of a heavenly truth that Christ was sharing. 
The encounter begins with a lawyer doing what lawyers do best. And I've learned this from many of you. Asking questions they already know the answer to. The lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And knowing that this lawyer is an expert of the law, Jesus simply tosses the question back to him. What is written in the law? What do you read there? Jesus is essentially saying, you're the expert, why don't you tell me, Mr. Smarty Pants? And like the law school professor's pet student showing off for his other lawyer friends, the lawyer responded quickly by quoting the law. By quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6.5. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18. To justify himself, to prove that he knew what he knew, and to push back to Jesus, the lawyer asked the question today that we love to ask of our kids and use to prove that we know who to love when newspaper headlines show us despair and hopelessness. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor was not an earnest question from the lawyer. Remember now, he is an expert in the law. Rather, the question was an attempt by the lawyer to determine the bare minimum that needed to be done so that he, along with those listening in, could inherit eternal life. But the lawyer, a professional asker of questions, asked the wrong question. To inherit something, whether it be eternal life or a toaster oven, is to have something given to you. Inheriting something is not the same as earning something. So the lawyer asked the wrong question. But instead of throwing the question back to the counselor, Jesus tells his parable. In 2019, we miss the details that made this parable so good to the original audience. The gospel writer assumes that the reader, us, knows that the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was dangerous. It was a 3,200-foot drop in elevation between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was a dangerous travel to make. For someone traveling this road by themselves, they would be considered as foolish as someone trying to drive their Prius through a flooded section of Canal Road. The journey from Jerusalem to Jericho was not one that you would take on your own because more often than not, you would end up in a ditch, left for dead after being attacked and robbed. The secularization of the Good Samaritan misses this detail as we focus in on the lack of action taken by the priest and the Levite, our two priestly characters who are making the same treacherous trip. Remember now, the gospel writer assumes that we know that Jesus' audience, the lawyer and those listening in, are Jewish. After hearing the lack of action taken by the priest and the Levite, there's no record from our gospel writer of disgust from either the lawyer or the others listening in on Jesus' story. And I know this is going to come as a shock to many of you, but this lawyer... He's not heartless. Instead, 
it's that we miss the Jewishness of this parable. If the priest or if the Levite were to have rendered aid to the man in the ditch, the half-dead man, they would have become ritually unclean and thus unable to perform the religious obligations of their community. The priest and the Levite are not the bad guys, and the lawyer knew as much because they, the priest and the Levite, were following the law that the lawyer was an expert of. On top of their religious obligations, not stopping was not unreasonable for this time, as it was common that injured people would hide in traps, or hide in ditches intended to be traps, to lower the guard of passers-by so that they could be robbed and become victims themselves. The original hearers of this parable would have never considered the phrase Good Samaritan to be placed together. It's an oxymoron. Jews and Samaritans were ancient versions of the Hatfields and McCoys. A Good Samaritan would have been an offensive title for the ancient Jewish listener of Christ's words. You see, Samaritans and Jews worshipped the same Hebrew God, yet they had different scriptures, temples, and practices. During Jesus' day, the Samaritans traveled to the city of David, to the temple, and ransacked it. The Samaritans dug up bodies and placed them in the temple, in an act that defiled the holy dwelling place of God and mocked God's laws. The priest and the Levite would not touch the man in the ditch's body out of observance to this law, but the Samaritans mocked this law by vandalizing the dwelling place of God with bodies that they had pulled from the ditch. To the lawyer and those within earshot of Jesus' words, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. The Samaritan hero in this parable is the ultimate turning of the tables, so much so that the lawyer could not bring himself to say the words good and Samaritan together. When he answered Jesus' final question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer replied to Christ, the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer could only acknowledge the mercy shown by the person that he, along with his friends, neighbors, and family, considered to be the other. And then, if that wasn't enough, Jesus gave the lawyer an impossible task. The part of the parable we turn into teaching moments for our children, but ignore for ourselves. Go and do likewise. Go and care for the person in the ditch. Go and care for the person or the group of people that you despise the most. Go and care for the person wearing the MAGA hat. Go and care for the person wearing the Black Lives Matter shirt. Go and care for the person who has wronged you. Help every single person every single person that comes across your path without wandering first to yourself if they're just going to buy booze with the fistful of money you're about to give them. Go and care for every single person 
whom you believe have gotten exactly what they deserve. Care for them without reservation and instead with extravagance. The good Samaritan that we all like to identify with paid for this stranger that he found along the side of the road to stay at an inn, a hotel, for three weeks. Two denarii was the equivalent of two days' wages. So now this is Jesus saying this, not me. Go and care for the stranger, the one you despise, with the extravagance of two days' earnings. Two days' earnings before taxes. Jesus' parable moves the focus from what was or what wasn't done by the priest and the Levite to the one who was viewed as the other, the one who responded with mercy. The lawyer learned that eternal life begins with extravagant mercy and not just knowledge of legal loopholes and definitions. The problem exposed by the lawyer's inability to even say the words good and Samaritan together is that this much extravagance, this much extravagance is beyond us. Our inability to respond with the extravagance of the good Samaritan when we see someone lying in a ditch along the side of the road is the reason why we look to the priest and the Levite with disgust. We're deflecting. We like to place ourselves in the role of the Good Samaritan and justify that placement by counting up the stranded drivers we have rescued. But to be the Good Samaritan, we must show extravagant mercy to the one, to the ones we believe deserve extravagant mercy the least. So simply put, we are not the Good Samaritan. We are the ones in the ditch. We cannot fully understand or recognize the extravagant mercy of the Good Samaritan until we ourselves have been pulled from, a, from the ditch by Christ. Jesus Christ is the true Good Samaritan. The one whose good news was and continues to be so offensive that he was despised, rejected, and then killed. We cannot fully understand and recognize the extravagant grace and mercy of the Good Samaritan until we have been saved by the other, saved by the despised, saved by the rejected. The late Episcopal priest Robert Capon put it like this, once we see ourselves in the ditch, we can begin to see Christ in the other. Christ will reveal our neighbors to us. And like the lawyer, more likely than not, this revealing by Christ will offend our secularized Good Samaritan sensibilities. The good news is that like the lawyer, our justification, our enoughness, our we've done enough of the law to check the box, that has already been determined by Christ's extravagant grace and mercy and not our own ability to love our neighbors. Christ will pull us out of the ditch. Christ will provide care, provide aid, regardless of our ability to go and do likewise.
Thanks be to God.